0: Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today, you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. By humbug, some of you need to work on that, maybe. Oh, but we look forward to things in life. But I was thinking about actually over the period of the course of my lifetime, what have I What have been the things that I've looked forward to? And I remember when I was a really little kid looking forward to getting to go to kindergarten. Right? That was going to be the coolest thing. You've arrived when you made it to kindergarten, haven't you? You know, and my first kindergarten was a private kindergarten because of the situation my folks were in. I went to Acorn Academy. That was cool. Cool. And uh, so I did that, and then, of course, you get out of kindergarten, and wait, now I'm going on to the big school, right? A real school. And so I go to elementary school, and then you work, and then eventually, at some point, you're looking forward to being a teenager. Oh, man, I hit 13, and I am a man, right? <laughs> I am a man. Oh. Uh, <laughs> at 13 and the high school right and they, to graduate from high school you're they, starting to schools getting like okay let's get this over with and so you want to graduate and so you look forward to that and you graduate now for me I went on to college and so okay now I'm going to college and I'm looking forward to to finishing up college and getting my degree so I can go do something else and in the process there the Lord worked in my life and, and just made it clear to me to head toward ministry and of course I had to finish my uh, school so I could get married. I was really looking forward to that. So I did that, and then we said, Well, let's, we're going to go in the ministry. And so we left and, and moved away and went to school. And so that was the big deal. We've got to finish school so we can get in ministry. And then we finished school, and then where are we going? Well, we're coming to someplace called Worcester, <laughs> right? And so we moved cross country, and that was a, a big act of faith for us. Uh, and so we, we're looking for that we got here so we're doing ministry and there's some point it's like I'm the associate pastor it's good and I'm thinking maybe God wants me to be a senior pastor and there's a whole long story that goes on there and all of a sudden that happened I became the senior pastor and then I'm looking forward to, uh, someplace in this mix it was for but grandkids that's what now we're gonna be a grandpa I am a man I'm a grandpa I'm a grandpa there we go um, but always something you're looking forward to, and now I'm thinking, what am I looking forward to now? Stiff joints, <laughs> hard. Part. No, this God has other things to still to look forward. But we look forward to things in life, right? We get one place, but we look forward. And really, as I look at it, each of those things did prepare me for that next thing that was coming, right? And to what extent I was faithful in the things I was doing now would affect how prepared I was for what was to come, right? Okay, now, let's just shift gears a little bit here. And um, let me ask you, what are some of the reasons that you love to celebrate Christmas and Christ's birth? I'm actually asking for responses here. Anybody? Family, because you're going to get together, family in a special yeah. way. Everybody tries to be there, right? It's a really good time. It's so cool. That's family. It's cool. Yeah? Jamie? We get to do the Christmas story. Okay. Yeah, you can do that anytime, right? Yep. But we focus on it at Christmas time, don't we? Yeah. Okay. All right. Somebody else, what are you excited about? Or what do you look forward to at Christmas? Or, wh- or why do you like to celebrate it? What's, what are you celebrating? Yeah. Giving. Giving. Okay. Because the Lord. Gave his son, the wise men gave their gifts, and so on. That become part of our culture and what we do. What else? I think the whole spirit of the time. It's, yeah, this, it's a different feel, isn't it? So isn't it interesting? We, we live in this world of a lot of people who Christmas has nothing to do with Jesus. For a lot of people. They may not know anything. But nonetheless, the fact that the Lord came into the world has still affects the culture to where everybody gets tries to be them best sell, their best selves. And the different spirit of Christmas, isn't it? All right, what else do you, you like about celebrating Christmas? The reasons. The birth of Christ. The birth of Christ, there you go. Yeah. Right? Okay, good. What else? Yep, Jonah? The, the music. You love oh, the Christmas music. How many of you like the Christmas music? Yes. How many of you like it that it starts in October at Walmart? Yes. Somebody else, what do you, what do you like about Christmas, Chris? The food. The food, yeah. Ah, now you win. Yep. All right. The lights, the decorations, yeah, that's cool. Of course, we, 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 you know, we had that when we were kids, right? You saw that, and that, that feeling just carries over even to when you're my age, right? It's, that's nice. I would love if somebody else would do it at my house, but I love the lights, I do. What else? Say again? Yes, that you're still around for another Christmas, huh? Yeah, good, very practical, yep. Ooh, yeah, being a parent with your little kids at Christmas and the wonder that they see, right? And the fun that they have, yeah. I saw a hand back here. Oh, parties and get-togethers. Yeah, with all our friends, right? And, and brothers and sisters in Christ get-togethers, yes. So many, many things. We have reasons that we, we want to celebrate Christmas and like to celebrate Christmas. And so what I want to talk to you about today is this, that one of the very best reasons, one of the best reasons to celebrate Jesus first coming, because that's what it is, wasn't it? His first coming at Christmas. One of the best reasons to celebrate his first coming is because it enables us to be prepared for his second coming. And he is coming. Yeah, we'll talk about that. But so today we're going to talk about the first and second coming of Christ and how, you know, one affects the other. Go ahead and go to that slide if you would there, Silas. Yeah, the first and second coming of Christ. Uh, Very, very important for So let me do this, because some of you may be newer to this, uh, or you haven't heard this, or don't understand how this all works. So let me talk about what I mean when I say the first coming and the second coming of Christ. So we're going to put a timeline up here. Go ahead and then put the first coming of Christ, right? This is at, we celebrate at Christmas time, because he probably didn't come at this time of year most likely. But this is when we celebrate it. This is when we focus on it, okay? But so Christ came. This is right around 0 AD at that time. He lived for about 33 years, died on the cross for us, and then he ascended into heaven, okay? So he went back up to heaven. So that was his first coming. And then there's ongoing results of his first coming, which we're going to talk about today, right? And so that's been about 2,000, roughly 2,000 years. Go ahead, if you would, Silas and the next thing that's going to happen for us whether we die first or we're still alive this time and that's what we call the rapture and this is where the Lord Jesus does not return to earth but it says we meet him in the heaven he calls for us and changes us if those who've already died they're in heaven with the Lord but at that point in time they will be resurrected and then we will be changed with them And the Bible says that we'll be forever with them and with the Lord okay so once that happens this part is done for us here lots of stuff still to do but so that's called the rapture the rapture is not the second coming you know we talk about the return of christ and sometimes we use those terms loosely and when we're really talking about this the rapture and he does return for us but he hasn't returned to work we still only got his first coming Now, the bible tells us that uh... at least my understanding of the scriptures okay that um... Once we are raptured, there's about a seven-year period in between there. It. that's called the Great Tribulation. And this is where the rise of the Antichrist will be. Uh, Satan will be actively at work. The Holy Spirit will not be doing some of the things that he's doing now. Anyway, and, and then at the end of that time, there is the second coming of Christ. And this is when he comes back, actually, to the earth. And we come back with him. We'll read those passages of scripture this morning, okay? So this is what we're talking about. So when I say one of the best reasons to celebrate Jesus' first coming is it enables us to be prepared for his second coming. And that is so, so important. By the way, his first coming and his second coming, very different. Very different in how it happens, very different in what it means to those who know him and don't know him, okay? Huge, huge difference. So let's, let's uh, um, talk about Jesus' first coming. And so what was the situation? What was the status for his first coming? Well, we have the whole Old Testament, don't we? If you aren't familiar with that, we have the whole Old Testament. This is the first part of your Bible, you know, until you get up to the Gospels. And this is where... Uh, Prophecies about his first coming and even his second coming are in here, but we learn something very clear from the first part of the the book in the Old Testament. And that's that God is big and powerful, right? He created the entire universe that we see and hear about and see photos of. Um, He is um, very, very interested in, in being involved with human beings. We see that. We see that he is a holy God and we see that human beings haven't been holy none of us holy right and so we see that and so there's a problem there we have a holy God who must judge sin to be holy and to be righteous and just and us who are human beings who have failed in that respect. So we see that. We see that God gives uh, his people, Israel, a law to follow, which includes a lot of ceremonial stuff, a lot of symbolic stuff that points to what he was going to do when he sent his son into the world, but hadn't happened yet. Okay, so they're, they're having these sacrifices which are symbolic of Christ, who would come and die and be our sacrifice. All of that is in there. I don't think that was abundantly clear, clear to them. I mean, they had a general sense that God was sending somebody, he was providing a solution, because he promised that way back in the beginning. So it wasn't clear like it is as we look back at it. But they were looking forward to something, and what they were looking forward to turns out to be the first coming of Jesus. And the situation in the world was very much like in the song, O Holy Night. Interesting. that The song, O Holy Night, was written in 1847 in France. And it made it to the stage somehow, and in 1855, a preacher who lived in West Roxbury, Massachusetts, translated it into English. Okay, that song, and um, of course it's become very, very popular. But it was very, very popular at the time, partly because, I think it's in the second verse, or the third verse, third verse, I can't remember. But it says, "Chain shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And it's translated in English in 1855, and by 1860, we're in a civil war, and that's one of the big issues of the civil war. Very, very popular. But it's in the first verse where it tells us what the condition of the world was before Christ came. And it says, long lay the world in sin and error, pining, mourning, heavy under the weight of sin. And so that's what his first coming came to address. So let's take our Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one under the chairs in front of you there somewhere. We'll be on page 1220 to start with. We're going to look at a lot of scriptures today, so hang in there with me. John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word, what are we talking about? If you've been around for any length of time, you've probably known and heard. But that, that Word, Word, was how the, um, the Greek culture and the Greek world, when they thought of what is the ultimate reality, what is behind all of creation, uh, they didn't necessarily talk about God at that point so much as, as much as they said the Word. The Greek word logos, logos. And um, that, so that's represented. And so John, the Holy Spirit leads John when he writes and say, let me tell you who that is. You guys believe in the word, let me tell you who he is. Okay, first of all, you need to know, in the beginning, he was already there. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. Okay, there's an equal sign there in that grammar. Word and God, same thing. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Let's stop right there and think. We're, the word is God, and yet he's t- talked about sort of distinct from God, isn't he? Okay, he is God, but yet he did this. All right. Um, and it says here that he created everything that exists. Well, we just finished up the book of Colossians. Do you remember in chapter 1 what it said about who created everything that exists? Do you remember Who? (laughs) The Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so who is the Word? It's the Son of God. He is God and he is the Son of God. And um, so that is who we're talking about. Here's the Son of God. He existed from the beginning as God. And then we get down to verse 14, our first Christmas verse. Okay, here it is. And the word, the son of God, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. And so just in, a few little, in one little verse here, we get this whole big thing that, that God, the son of God, became a man. Right. That's what the first coming is about. The son of God becomes a human being. He comes to us because of our great need and because of his great love for us go to galatians chapter 4 galatians chapter 4 <clears throat> excuse me starting verse 4 paul's talking here about how we were in bondage to sin and in bondage to our inability to keep the law in sin and error, pining, verse four, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so let's stop for just a minute, when the fullness of time had come. You know, we don't necessarily understand God's timing, do you? Have you ever wished God's timing was different in your life? Now, I, I say we wish it, and we feel it that way, but in reality, we want to come to a point where we realize God's timing is perfect in our lives. Right? And if left to ourselves, we would do it differently. But he does it best. He does it right. Anyway, so when the fullness of time, when, when history had come to this point, some 4,000 years after creation, uh, God sends forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. This is stopped there. So why did Jesus become a man? Why did he, why was there, he uh, come at this first coming? So he could be our savior. Because what we find out from the Bible very clearly, and you see it in the Old Testament, it's clearly stated in the New Testament, and that's that nobody successfully keeps the law. We think law, and we think the laws that our country has. This is a moral law of God the Old Testament, Ten Commandments and everything that comes off of that. It's loving your neighbor as yourself. It's loving God before anything all that. And that we've all failed, haven't we? We've all failed that law. And so we need a Redeemer, someone to save us from the consequences of our sin because we're guilty of breaking God's law. Every one of us. And so he came, and he came as a human being who was under the law to redeem those who were under the law. Us, uh, specifically the Jewish law, but all of us who were under the moral laws of God. And he says that we might receive the adoption as sons. So he doesn't just come and let us off the hook. He does come and save us, as we'll talk about in a minute. But he does more than that. At his first coming, he not only provides a way for us to be forgiven, for a way for us to be saved, he also makes us family when we do. That's big, isn't it? I mean, you get a picture of if, if there was a way, a, a judge uh, who is trying a case, or I mean, he's, he's overseeing the case, and, and it's clear that the, the, the defendant is guilty, you know, it's made the jury, or he just pled guilty, or whatever... And this juror, the, the judge I mean, it's a fine that has to be paid, and the judge says, you know what, I'm going to pay your fine for you. He steps down out of the, his judge place, and he maybe writes a check and hands it to her. He pays the fine for him. Normally, and this is probably the way it normally goes down, is the judge would then go back into his chambers, and the, the person would go free, and that'd be it. But what we have here is a picture of the judge getting down paying the fine and says, hey, I want to adopt you. Make you part of my family. But that's what Jesus did for us. Okay, That's why he came this first coming. Not only to forgive our sins. Not only to give us new and eternal life. But to make us family. And in Colossians we saw the way he does that. As he, remember, brings us into union with him. Inseparable union with him. Verse 6. And because you are sons... God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So this is that relationship that we now have. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. You know, we have this standing before God as Christ has. It's just, I don't know how to put it into words, effectively or sufficiently. But this is his first coming, right? His coming amazing thing, born as a baby, lives a perfect and sinless life, that he might do these things in our lives. And so this is the gospel, isn't it? We who sinned against God, holy God, we were guilty before him. And yet as our judge, he provided a payment for us. Jesus dying on the cross to pay our sins. And then he raises Jesus from the dead and and then offers that Forgiveness in relationship to us. And we need to say yes to it or we don't have it. It's like Christmas gifts, right? That God has given us a gift. But if you don't accept the gift and open it, you never benefit from it, do you? And we'll see, that's where some people are at and where they will be at the second coming of Christ, sadly. Um... And so, when, when the Son of God is first coming, he comes because of man, does all these things we talked about, he came as a loving Savior. Okay? He came as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then he moves in, makes his family. They have all. This. Is it a blessing to know Jesus? Yes. Now, let me ask you this real quick. Think right now, can you remember that time in your life, you know, where you either for the very first time in your life saw it and understood it, and you said, Okay, I believe, I, I received Christ as Savior. You remember that, or you remember, maybe you don't remember that specifically, but you realize, or you realize, you came to say, Yes, that is what I believe, that is what I'm trusting in. Can you, if you can remember clearly one of those two kinds of things today, just raise your hand with me, right? Yeah, right. Makes a huge difference in our lives. His first coming. His first coming. Now let's go to the Gospel of Luke. Oh, let's see where is Luke. Where's Luke? <laughs> All right, so Luke gives us the very traditional Christmas story, you know, of Mary and Joseph staying in a stable and the angel appearing to the shepherds and, uh, you know, Jesus being born and lying in a manger. But the story goes on beyond that, doesn't it? All right, so as Jewish people, there were certain customs. I said the symbols and the ceremonies that they had to do. And, And so they were doing that with Jesus uh, a week later, eight days later. verse let's start in, let's see verse where am I? Oh, verse 25. By the way, this is on page 1180. It's not on the screen up there, okay. Luke chapter 2 verse 25. It says, "And behold, so they've come to Jerusalem, they've come into the temple to do the ceremonies. It says, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. He was waiting for the first coming. He was this consolation, this comfort, the one who was supposed to come, the promised Messiah. He was waiting for him. He was looking forward to the first coming. It's kind of strange to us because we have never looked forward to the first coming, have we? We've always looked back, but he's looking forward to it. Okay. Uh, And then it says, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And again, Christ is uh, the Greek equivalent, the Hebrew word Messiah. So he had seen the promised Messiah. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. The Holy Spirit moved him to go into the temple at this time, And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he, Simeon, took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, somehow rather the Holy Spirit made it clear to him, this is the one who is, he has come. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother Mary marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. This idea that, that Jesus is going to be this sort of line of demarcation for people. They're either going to accept it and rise or they will refuse it and fall. He's either going to be loved or hated. And then he says to Mary, verse 35, yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. And in some of the life groups we have going on, we've been working through the gospel of John. And we've seen this Mary standing at the foot of the cross. Her soul undoubtedly pierced through with great sorrow. And he says, all of this is the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. His coming is a heart issue. It's about those things. Now let's continue. We have somebody else here. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with the husband seven years from her virginity. Now let's think about this. Hold a little farther. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years. Can we figure this out? All right, so she's been a widow for how long? 84 years. How long was she married? Seven. Now we're up to 91. How old was she when she got married? 14, 15? We don't know. So what, she's in her (laughs) mid-hundreds. That's old. But so she is there and she's been serving the Lord there in the temple. Because it says, verse 37, this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And I don't think that doesn't mean she ever went home. It's just this is what she was always doing. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him. Of this child that had been born to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Apparently there were a bunch of people at this time. When is the Lord going to send the Messiah? When is he coming? We want him to come. And so now Anna is speaking to all of these people like that. He's come. Here he is. Okay. His first coming. Coming as a loving Savior. And a lamb of God. The lamb who God who takes away the sins of the world. All the blessings that you experience as a Christian. Are tied up. With what he accomplished. At his first coming. Okay. Now. His second coming. Very. Very. Different thing. Very different than the first coming. Although what I want you to see is that. So. Just like people in the... It's interesting, my grandkids uh, with one of my uh, kids' families and been talking about this and all of a sudden a light went on in their eyes and they said, wow. So like they were looking for the first coming, we should be what? Looking forward to his second coming. And I think the reality is, is that we could go through a day, a week, maybe a month or long and never really think about that. But we should, we should be aware of the the, the second coming. So let's talk about the second coming. Um, The Son of God will come again. Let's go to Matthew chapter 25. Let's see here, where am I? Over here, Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. It says, when the Son of Man, and this is how Jesus refers to himself here in these Gospels, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. So he's saying, I'm coming back. And when I come back, it's not going to be like it was, you know, baby Jesus meek and mild. No, I'm coming back with all of my angels. And I am coming back and I am going to sit on the throne. Who sits on the throne? Yeah, right. But in general, who sits on the throne? The king. That's right. So he's coming back as the king, as the one who is going to rule. And then he says this, verse 32. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another. As a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand but the goats on the left. And in the the way this is talked about, when Jesus talks about it is, there's nothing wrong with sheep or goats, but he's illustrating that the sheep are his sheep, those he died for, those who have received him as savior, those who have been brought into union with him forever. Those are the sheep and the goats are those who have rejected him. So when Jesus comes back, he's going to sit on the throne and he's going to be making judgments. Yes, you have received me as Savior. No, you have not. That's a little different, isn't it, than the first coming? It's different than what we emphasize when we're preaching the gospel. All right, so let's jump over to verse 46. Talking about the ones he separated out, the ghosts he says, and these will go away into everlasting punishment. But the righteous, those who have received Christ as Savior and who have received his righteousness, they will go into eternal life. So wow, the second coming is going to be really good news for a bunch of people and really bad news for a bunch of people. So let's continue. Let's go to Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians. Let's see here. Chapter one. We've got some tough verses to work through here. okay? Let's make our way through. Let's go for it. Chapter one for Second Thessalonians verse three. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. This is all the result of the first coming. So that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. So they are suffering for believing in Jesus. They are suffering For following Jesus. They are being persecuted for following the Lord. And then he says this, verse 5, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. But manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, and what we're going to see is that God is going to judge those who persecute. God is going to judge those who stand in opposition to him and his people. He is going to judge them. And he says, this is the evidence. Look, it's your suffering. It's what you're going through. This is the obvious evidence that when I judge them, I am righteous because of what they have done. Verse 6, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. What we just saw Jesus talking about. But look how this, he talks about this. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. In flaming fire, taking vengeance. Wow. On who? Those who don't know God, those who did not obey the gospel. Let's talk about this. Is it possible for human beings to know God? Yes. The Bible is very clear that he has, indeed, he has revealed himself sufficiently in creation and within our own natures that we can know that he exists. Now, that's not enough to save us. But the idea is if we are aware that he exists and, and we realize you know, that we... We know in our own conscience we don't always do what we ought. And so if we will humble ourselves before God, what does God do for the humble? He gives them what? Grace. Grace. And so even if someone doesn't know the gospel, if they are humbling themselves before God, I believe God's going to work in their lives and he's going to put a burden in somebody's heart to go share the gospel with them, okay? Uh, But not everybody responds with humility, do they? In fact... Maybe the majority don't, at least not until they hear the gospel. And then he goes on and says, you know, this is especially true of those who don't obey the gospel. Now, that's not a word you usually hear when we're talking about the gospel, right? Obey. Well, how do you obey the gospel? You believe it and accept Christ as Savior. That's how you obey it. That's what it's there for. He says, you know, repent and turn to me. I've died to pay for you. He says, I love you. Come into a relationship with me. And when we do, we have obeyed the gospel. Back in John chapter 6, uh, people were asking Jesus, what are we supposed to do to work the works of God, to do what God wants us to do? And he said, this is the work of God that you believe on him that God sent. And so this believing, this faith is how we obey the gospel. But he says, those who say no to that, those who don't humble themselves before God and come to hear about Christ, that he's coming and he will take vengeance on them. Little Jesus, meek and mild, right? Let's continue reading. Not, I'm being silly. Verse 9. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power When he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe, because our testimony among you was believed. So, how are we going to experience the second coming of Christ? First, the rapture when he comes for us—that's going to be amazing, right? Change everything. Um, And then, when we'll see when we return with him, it's just going to be—he's going to be so glorious, so magnified, and we will see him you know, in ways that it's just beyond what it's hard for us to imagine now. Let's continue reading. For those who don't know him, that is not the case. Verse 1 of chapter 2. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. So, He's telling us that we have reason to rejoice when we look forward to the second coming. Verse 3, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Okay. We're we're getting here, he's talking about the one that we normally uh, talk about and call the Antichrist. He's the ruler who will arise during that seven years of tribulation who Satan will empower and be working in the world. We will be gone. God is letting Satan try to be God. It's not going to work. But so the man of perdition is a man of lawlessness. In other words, he's rejecting the laws of God. Verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So, do you ever feel like the world is a terrible mess? Because they don't submit to God? I want you to know, as bad as it is, The Holy Spirit is restraining things all the time. He's keeping it from being what it could be. But there will come a point in time during the Great Tribulation when he will no longer restrain. And so if you think it's bad now, you don't want to be here then. And you don't have to be if you receive Christ. Um, Verse 8. And when the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, science, and lying wonders. Like I said, Satan is empowering him. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. We've we've talked about Satan uh, before here. Jesus said that Satan was two things. Do you remember what he was? He's a liar and a murderer from the very beginning. And so how is he ruling here? He is what? Deceiving people. He's lying to them. Holding himself out as God. Verse 10, And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. This goes back when I was saying a recognition. Wow, wow, there has to be a God. There must be a God. And God, if you're there, I want to know you. You know, I'm humbling myself before you because I'm a mess and I, something needs to, to give here. I want to know what's really true. I want to know. But you know, even in our lives sometimes, but a lot of people don't necessarily want what's true. They don't want to know what's true. let this read. They did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. Okay, the lie of Satan. Now, let me just show you here. And this is, occurs a couple other places in the Bible. They've made their choice. We don't want this. We don't accept this. But he is going to, God is going to make sure that they buy in to the Antichrist and Satan's plan. Okay, and that's what he's talking about. It's going to be so powerful. They will believe. But not against their will because what did they already choose? They already choose? All right. So if you knew somebody, I mean, I don't know what the circumstance in our life would be, but you make a choice. Okay. You made your choice. And now there's things that go along with that choice. It's just the way it is. And that's where they are at. That they, verse 12, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but instead had pleasure in unrighteousness. So when people reject what's true because they want something different, they don't want that. Um, and he say to you again, how humble should you and I be the fact that somehow we have come to know Jesus as Savior? And that he's worked in our heart in these ways. And that this won't be us. If you're here today and you've never really settled that clearly in your life. This will be you. So the second coming, very, very different. You think Jesus came as the way, the truth, and the life. And the antichrist, empowered by Satan, will come uh, as the wrong way. And as the lie and as death. That's the way it will be. Let's go to Revelation chapter 19. So this describes the second coming of Christ. Verse 11. This is what the Holy Spirit had enabled John to see the future and what was going to happen. It says, now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true and those are terms used for the Son of God, faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe, dipped in blood, right? He, he shed his blood for us, and his name is called the Word of God. Who is the Word of God? The Son of God who became flesh, right? The Lord Jesus Christ. And the armies in heaven. Clothed in fine, uh, fine linen. White and clean. Followed him on white horses. Who here loves to ride horses? A few of you. Who of you say absolutely no way? Anybody? Well this is us. <laughs> You're going to ride horses here. Okay. Yes. This is us. Those who are saved. We're coming back with him. Verse 15. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. This is the word of God. That with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He, will, uh, he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of almighty God. This is a very different Jesus than we think of most of the time. Same one though. He is righteous and holy. In fact, before I forget, let me just say to you when we see that this is the way Jesus is, that he, he hates sin, he will judge sin, he is righteous and holy, and is a fierceness to him, almighty. Boy, I sure am glad I've got to know him the way I know him and you know him. Right? Be grateful. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah chorus, Right? King of kings, (laughs) Lord of lords. Yeah, we saw stop. (laughs) Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. Whoa. And he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, Both small and great. This is fierce because he's saying, hey, come on, birds. We're going to give you a supper here. Verse 19, and I saw the beast. He's connected with the antichrist. The kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse And against his army. So the people who remain on earth at this point in time. Do not want God to be their God. They do not want him to be their Lord. And so they try to resist him. Which is just foolhardy. Verse 20. Then the beast was captured. And with him the false prophet. Who worked signs in his presence. By which he deceived those. Who received the mark of the beast. And those who worshipped his image. There's lots of stuff to talk about. We aren't going to talk about today. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Man, this is tough stuff, isn't it? Chapter 20, verse 11. After this, then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. There was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were open, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And the problem is that those works include sin after sin after sin after sin, failure after failure to love God, failure after failure to love your neighbor as yourself, all of those things. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to their works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Whose names are written in the book of life? Those who responded to Jesus after his first coming. That's whose names are written in the book of life. The moment you receive Christ as Savior, there your name is. You will not stand in this judgment. But those who have not responded properly to the first coming will stand in this judgment. And so Jesus came first time, we said, as a loving Savior and the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The second time he's coming as something different. He's coming as a conquering judge. As a warrior, he's coming as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Go ahead and go to that next slide, if you would, Silas. All right? So that is a big difference, isn't it? Um, So we need to respond rightly to the first coming, don't we? That's, That's why we have the chance. And so a right response to Jesus' first coming prepares you for his second coming. Go ahead and go forward if you're with there, Silas, please. All right. And so how do we respond properly? Well, we have it right here on the wall. We surrender to the Lord, right? We surrender to him as Savior and as Lord in our lives. We receive, we, we admit like we already talked about, right? That we need a Savior. We receive Christ as Savior. And then we, we live with him as Lord. We work at that every day, day in and day out. Um, let me say to you, in this area, this idea of making a personal once and for always decision to surrender as Christ as Savior. I told you this story, but I'll just tell you briefly again. We lived in a, a, a lake community. It was called Lakewood. I got up early one morning it's after I was a believer, and I was sitting there reading my Bible, and the, the sun was just coming. It was just dawning, and the Holy Spirit was working in my life. And this is where I remember saying, Okay, God, I, I surrender completely to you. I'm yours, God. Yours to do with what you want. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll go where you want me to go. Um, I will, you know, when you want me to, how, whatever. It was a full and total surrender. And so I now, I'm calling this my Lakewood moment. Very clear to me. You need a Lakewood moment. You might not want to call it Lakewood, but you need a dawning moment then, something. I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but have you ever made that commitment and settled it once and for all? You need to. It makes sense in light of his first coming, and it also prepares you for his second coming, because we will stand for the judgment seat of Christ where he'll evaluate our lives. We won't be judged for heaven or hell, but we'll evaluated. you know, how do we do and rewards and all that kind of stuff that's going to matter, matter so much to us. But so you need to surrender. And If you haven't done that, you can do it right now get along with God sometimes soon do it and then every day you got to try to live it out it isn't like magic but it's important you need to do that so a second thing uh, a a right response is that we grow we make purposeful choices to grow go to first john chapter 3 just a little before revelation first john chapter 3 starting in verse 1 it says, Behold, what manner of the love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved now we are children of God, and has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, his second coming, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And so as we grow and we become mindful that the Lord is returning, it motivates us to take this seriously. It motivates us to live a life that is pure. And it's the kind of life that he wants us to live. And then we need to tell. Think about all the people that are going to be there at the second coming not having received Christ. And man, if they could hear the gospel, if someone could share the gospel with them, I mean, they've made their choices. They're responsible. But the gospel is the power of God to salvation. And when you share the gospel with someone, even someone who seems set in their ways, the gospel can go in and stir them up. Right? And they can, the Holy Spirit can use that in their lives and they can receive Christ as Savior. So we need to be about telling And and you say, well, Walt, that's what you preached on last Sunday. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, so I don't know if you remember the story or not about the, the young preacher who went and candidated for a church and they hired him. And the first week he got up and preached a really good sermon. And the second week he got up and preached the exact same sermon. People are kind of like, what's that all about? The third week he preached the same sermon. So the deacons have a meeting. <laughs> what's going on? Well, probably. So fourth week, guess what? He preaches the exact same sermon. And it's just like this kind of the whole church is kind of up. So they're asking, Pastor, Pastor, what's going on? You're preaching the same sermon to us every week. He said, I know. And once you start doing that, I'll preach another one. And so, you're going to keep hearing me tell you need to tell. You need to be opening your mouth, sharing the gospel. You need to care about people so that they aren't lost. So, two things here today. Why don't you let Christmas be these things for you. First of all, let's let Christmas be Christmas uh, uh, remind you to be so grateful that the Lord has saved you. You are prepared for the second coming, right? And secondly, let it motivate you to share the gospel with others who aren't saved. And you have the opportunity, and once again, you can use church as a good tool for you. If you're talking to somebody, anybody this week say, hey, why don't you come to church this next week? We're having a Christmas Sunday, special day, special music. Pastors going to be talking about what Christmas means from the Bible. And you don't have to use that, but you know what I'm saying? We've got to do this, folks. We cannot just go with the first two and leave the third one off. That's not Christianity. It's something else. Father, we come to you and thank you. I pray, Lord, for anybody here who has not settled that issue of their relationship with you, that they would, even in this very moment, or if they have questions, they'd be humble enough to ask, Lord. And I pray for all of us, Lord, we would would be so grateful for what you accomplished in our lives because of your first coming. And Lord, that we would take your second coming seriously and be very much about the business of reaching people for you. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for hanging in there a long time. Uh, let's go live it.